everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 26. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on October 20, 2018. First off, a quick personal update. Last week, I was unable to record a podcast episode because I was in Austin for a writer mastermind event. I'm still processing everything I learned, talking to fellow writers about my fiction and author business. Perhaps my biggest takeaway is that I should develop a presence on Medium. I'm certain that most of you have read a post on Medium.com at one point or another. It's a platform designed specifically for quality content by the world's most insightful writers, thinkers, and storytellers. I will be posting articles regularly there and building on upon the content in this podcast. If you're interested in learning more, I hope you follow me there. While in Austin, I had the opportunity to visit my first Amazon bookstore. What's the big deal, you say? Well, it's just a bookstore. Actually, it's a different experience than most bookstores, and it comes down to curation and displays. Your typical bookstore, you may or may not know this, is curated by the traditional publishers. If you're an indie publisher, you can't get in most of these bookstores unless they feature local authors or something. The different spaces and displays in a bookstore are real estate for purchase by the highest bidder. In some cases, placement on the tables out front go for tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, As you go further into the bookstore, the cheapest real estate is on the shelves in a spine-out layout. Uh, which is really difficult to find a book if you don't really know what you're looking for. Spine out, you really don't get information on the book. Face out displays cost more. In an Amazon bookstore, the readers are the ones who curate the selection. That's right. You're the one who chooses the books that make it onto the shelves. Simply put, the highest ranking books in a different genres are featured in an Amazon bookstore. Each book is face out. There are no spines in an Amazon bookstore. And it has um, the rank information listed on a little um, card below each book. Um, The face-out displays throughout the store make for an entirely different experience for browsing. You don't need to know what you're looking for. You can simply browse the covers and pick up ones that interest you. Read the backs of the books and then then make your selection. Okay, uh, let's talk tech. Last time I mentioned the news headline about the alleged hardware hack by China which sent ripple effects through to the technology and national security communities. Since then, there has been much debate um, about the veracity of the article that's worth discussing. Amazon and Apple, of course, have denounced the story. Most recently, however, DHS issued a statement during a Senate hearing rejecting the claims made by the Bloomberg article. So my first headline for this week is, The security community increasingly thinks a bombshell Bloomberg report on Chinese chip hacking could be bogus, published on Business Insider on October 13. This article raises doubts about the claims made in the article, but I I just like to point out that even if the article is wrong, government and technology experts are saying that such a scenario is possible, and I think that's what's key here. Today, everything is increasingly dependent on electronics, which uses chips produced overseas. Such a hardware hack 
is possible and could provide backdoors into computer networks. My next headline is related to an even more distressing um, situation than the hardware hack. The headline is, many of the U.S. military's newest weapons have major cyber vulnerabilities, says the GEO. This was published by Defense One by Patrick Tucker on October 9, 2018. The GAO has assessed that U.S. military weapon systems um, are vulnerable to cyber attacks. Using relatively simple tools and techniques, testers were able to take control of systems and largely operate undetected uh, due to a number of basic issues such as poor password management. So if you have a router or a smart TV or anything that came with a manufacturer password, you should probably change those um, to best practice to secure your electronics against hacks. Another problem is unencrypted communications. If you're interested in reading more, you can read the GA report yourself. Uh, again, this is a function on our reliance growing reliance on computers connected to networks and or the internet. This is not going to change. It's going to get um, worse. Uh, everything is, is being connected to the internet using sensors and chips, uh, your fridge, smart fridges, everything. Um, my last headline is a little bit of good news. Um, don't usually cover that here. Uh, while emerging technologies pose new risks, they can also help to solve national security challenges. Thanks to John Hornick for posting this article. Infill creates a fingerprint for tracing 3D printed items back to their sources, published on 3dprint.com on October 17, 2017. Researchers have figured out how to trace a 3D printed object to the printer on which it was made. This could be extremely helpful in tracking 3D printed guns and other dangerous items, as well as serve as a deterrent to making illegal items using 3D printers. This is awesome. Uh, there is a precedent for this on laser printers. You may not be aware, but when you print documents on a laser printer, there are invisible dots that can identify the originating printer. In fact, this is how an NSA contractor was charged for leaking classified documents back in 2017. Law enforcement officials were able to trace documents leaked to the media back to an NSA printer and determine that one of six people could have printed it out using timestamps. From there, they were able to determine which of the six had contact with the media outlet. Um, pretty easy find. Um, Got to be aware of, of the ways that we can identify source um, electronics. All right, let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week, Lara conducted a stakeout on Fiddler and his daughter and nearly came into contact with the rogue scientist Beetle Swarm. What happens next? Chapter 26, The Library Book. Traffic wasn't bad for a Monday afternoon. It took Lara only 25 minutes to reach downtown DC, even with the extra weight of a passenger. Slowing to a near stop, she pulled up in front of a convenience store and tipped the bike gently toward the sidewalk to let Justine dismount. I hope this is a good place to let you off, Lara said, tilting her head behind her. Where are we? Justine asked. Foggy Bottom, near the George Washington University Hospital. You should be able to grab a cab from here if you want to just head home. Justine looked around, somewhat uncertain of her surroundings. She recoiled as a scraggly old woman with a reddish face, drinking from a poorly hidden bottle in a paper bag, stumbled by. Even from several feet away, Lara could smell the telltale odor of alcohol on her breath. 
The old woman dragged her dolly full of groceries behind her and took no notice of the two women sitting on a motorcycle. Lara waited until the old lady passed and then rested her right foot on the curb to steady the motorcycle. Just then, a city bus whooshed by, nearly knocking her off balance. Its brakes screeched as it approached. The bus stopped just a few yards away. Okay, this is fine. Justine dismounted in a hurry and shook herself out. A bit shell-shocked by the speed of the ride? That and the narrow miss by the bus. Her neat bun had come completely unraveled. For once, Justine wasn't perfectly put together. If Lara didn't feel sorry for her state of mind, she might have laughed out loud. Are you okay? I'm sorry if I took the roads a bit rough. Lara winced at the idea of Justine's terrified face as they hugged a corner or whipped down the highway. She'd been focused on driving and on getting away from the beetle swarm. She'd barely noticed how tightly Justine had been holding on. Now that I think of it, though, my sides are kind of sore from where she squeezed me. Justine gave her a half-smile. I'm fine. Just glad to be far away from those beetles. Yeah, me too. Do you mind giving me that address you found for Fiddler? Justine's eyes narrowed. You don't want to check it out now, do you? Lars shook her head. No, not without police backup. I've had enough beetle swarms for one day. Breathing a sigh of relief, Justine pulled a piece of paper from her purse and showed it to Lara. 3300 White Oak Drive, Silver Spring. Lara's face fell. Another dead end. What's wrong? Justine asked. The address isn't valid anymore. We already checked it out, and Fiddler's house is no longer there. It was replaced by a commercial development. Justine frowned. Well, that's a shame. I thought we had something. So where are you headed next? Lara paused before telling her. I was thinking of paying Anita another visit at her medical practice. It's only a few blocks from here. Doctors never really take the day off, and she doesn't have any family waiting for her at home. Maybe she headed back to the office after meeting her father in the cafe and to take care of paperwork. She might let something slip from the conversation she had with her father. Justine's face lit up. Do you want me to come with you? Maybe for some unofficial backup like last time? Lara thought for a moment and remembered what Ashton told her about Fiddler. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Let me park my bike and we'll walk over together. Several feet away, she found a tiny spot next to the convenience store. After walking for a few blocks in silence, Lara pointed up to the townhouse with the metal sign, Johnson and Moore Family Practice. That's it. She climbed up the stairs to hit the buzzer. Fidgeting with her leather jacket, she waited for a response. Hello? A female voice answered. Lara recognized the voice. Hey, Lindsay, this is Lara Kingsley from the other day. I'm here to see Dr. Fiddler. She grabbed the door handle as soon as the lock buzzed open. Justine followed closely behind as Lara walked into the front office. Lindsay looked up and greeted her with a smile and then glanced nervously at Justine. You're Lara Kingsley, right? Lindsay's voice was tentative, as if she were trying to remember Lara's face. Yeah, that's me. This is my colleague, Justine. Is Dr. Fiddler in by chance today? No, actually, it's rather strange. Dr. Fiddler came in here about an hour ago in a mad rush and told me to cancel all of her appointments for the next few weeks. I don't know what happened, but she told me she was leaving town indefinitely. She said she'd be in touch and left about 20 minutes ago. What? Lara gasped. Anita left town. What did her father say to her? I'm as surprised as you are, believe me. She didn't give my her partner any notice. He's livid. Has she done anything like this before? Lindsay shook her head. Never. 
She rarely leaves town and hasn't taken a single vacation day the entire time I've worked for her. She didn't even take any time off after her husband and son died in a tragic accident. She's very dedicated. Anyway, I've been on the phone for the past hour trying to explain to her patients that I don't know when or if she's coming back. They're all shocked and disappointed. Do you mind if I sit down for a minute? Lara asked, trying to take in what she learned. Her mind raced with possible explanations. Be my guest, Lindsay said, picking up the phone, probably to call another patient. Justine wandered into the waiting area and began picking through magazines on the coffee table. Oh no, a little boy must have left his baseball glove behind. I'm sure he'll wonder where he lost it. Lara turned to see the glove Justine held and her mouth fell open. What's wrong? Justine asked, walking the glove to the reception desk. Lara's head spun in circles as she tried to make sense of what she was seeing. That's my glove. Justine stopped and looked at the glove and then at Lara. Are you sure? They all look the same. Yes, I'm sure, Lara said and reached for the glove. Why the hell would it be here? Where did you find it? I found it on the chair over there and wanted to make sure it got into Lost and Found. How do you suppose it got here? Did you leave it here the last time you visited Anita? No, someone must have stolen it from my townhouse. Her mind raced. Lara had it with her when she and Vic were discussing Sally's journals. Someone had to have taken it after the fire. Did Anita steal it from her? Did Anita start the fire? Was Anita Sully's killer? Nothing made sense. Something didn't compute. Lara? Justine waved a hand in front of her face. Sorry, I don't know how it got here. Lara kept the truth to herself. Though she wasn't sure why her instincts had put a wall up with Justine, she shrugged to play off any tensions she'd created and smiled. I must have forgotten it. Oh, I almost forgot, Lindsay called from the desk. Dr. Fiddler thought you might come by. She left something for you. She came around the desk and handed Lara an old tourist guide for Australia. Lara stared at the book, turning it over in her hands. Thanks. Did you? Did she say anything about it? No, she said you'd know what it meant. Lara returned to the chair in the waiting room. Justine sat next to her as Lara ran her fingers over the embossed title, A Guide to Australia for Insiders. Wait, I've seen this title before. It was the same book that had contained a picture of Anita's father. Lara opened the book and flipped through all the pages. There were no pictures, scraps of paper, or even writing on the margins. Nothing. Frustrated, Lara studied every detail of the book. It was an old library book published 10 years ago. Out of date now, practically useless. Tucked in a sleeve in the front cover, the book had a slip of paper with date stamps. Lara pulled it out and looked at the last entry. Justine shot her a confused look. John Fiddler, due on September 8, 2017. I think I know why this book is important. Fiddler checked it out, most likely to prepare for a trip to Australia. He must have traveled there to bring back a live specimen of a Christmas beetle to breed them in his lab. Justine rubbed her chin. Do you think Anita know, knew all about, about all of that? If so, it sounds like she's involved in Fiddler's plot somehow. God knows she has motive. No, I think she left the book as a clue for me. She knew I'd understand its significance. She's trying to tell me something. A thin film of plastic wrapped the cover of the book. Turning it over, Lara read the sticker on the book's spine. Tacoma Park Neighborhood Library. That's it. Fiddler must have had to give a local address to get a library card. We might actually have a new lead on his location. 
Lara relished the rush of adrenaline that came with a new lead. She jumped out of her seat and rushed to the reception desk. Lindsay, thanks so much. If Dr. Fiddler comes back, tell her to call me. Lara grabbed a pen and scribbled on a piece of scrap paper. Here's my cell number, and just in case, this is Detective Sanchez's number. We desperately need to talk to her. Sure, no problem, Lindsay said with some hesitancy in her voice. She furrowed her brow at Lara's business card, but took it and placed it on the desk. Lara dashed out, the, out of the doctor's office with a book and her baseball glove under her arm. Justine followed closely behind, her heels clicking frantically. When Lara reached her motorcycle, she turned to Justine. Do you want to come to the library with me and see if we can get a location on Fiddler? Justine glanced at the bike and then at her watch. No, that's all right. I think I've had enough for today, but keep me in the loop, okay? Lara nodded and watched Justine walk down the street and turn a corner. In some ways, she was relieved to be on her own again. Before mounting her bike, Lara paused to survey the area to make sure no one was tailing her. Several pedestrians, mostly students, walked about, but Lara didn't see anyone suspicious. She packed the library book and her baseball glove into the seat compartment and took out her smartphone to text Vic. Won't make it back to the office today. Don't worry about me. Everything's fine. The moment she pressed the send button, a buzzing noise made her jerk her head up as her heartbeat picked up pace. Before she had time to react, a swarm of golden beetles swooped down toward her. Lara ducked and tried to scream, but no noise came out. Within seconds, hundreds of beetles enveloped her, swirling in circles around her. Beetles smacked into her face, thumped in on her head, and clattered against her bike. Trembling, Lara squeezed her eyes shut, stopped squirming, and clutched her arms tightly around her stomach. Letting out a primal scream, she gasped for air. A sharp pinch, small but painful, punctured her arm then another, and another. Her muscles tense as she swatted in the air, hitting a few beetles to the ground. Seconds later, the swarm stopped buzzing and disappeared. When she opened her eyes, a single beetle sat in her arms, staring at her, as if someone were watching her through its camera. She grabbed the beetle with the other hand. Gotcha, you little bastard! The beetle's legs quivered, and it tried to fly away from her. Lara opened the seat compartment underneath her legs and shoved it inside, closing it quickly and then sat back down on her bike. Shuddering, Lara patted down her body, inspecting a few a few of the little bite marks they had left on her arms. What if they were carrying a plague? Lara didn't plan on wasting any time to find out. She would have to make another stop before visiting the library. She tries Maggie's cell phone, but no one answered. She called the genetics laboratory at the University of Maryland's Department of Entomology. It was after 5 p.m., and a technician told her Maggie had left for the day. Lara contemplated going to the emergency room, but she was keenly aware of what type of national crisis would ensue as public health officials and law enforcement authorities struggled to understand how she may have contracted the plague from a genetically modified beetle. No, I can't show up at the ER. Her hands shook. She was lightheaded, still reeling from the horror of being surrounded by the swarm of beetles. She didn't know how many times she'd been bitten or where to go for help. Her skin tingled painfully where the beetles had pierced her flesh. Taking a few deep breaths, she accepted her only good choice. She needed to see Maggie and get the beetle tested for the plague. Lara mounted her bike, revved the engine, and headed out to Fort Totten as fast as she could. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. 
You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.